You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening once again. It is Tuesday the 6th of December. It's a gorgeous morning here in TW11. Cold, yes, but bright sunshine. News this weekend that Cheltenham and Doncaster will both be looking to put covers down on their respective courses to try and beat quite a a brisk freeze that is set to come in over the next few days. Temperatures certainly plummeting. They're not where Charlie Appleby is. He's just landed in Dubai, having picked up the trophy yesterday at the Horse Race Riders Awards for International Trainer of the Year. He has also now officially been crowned champion trainer after what was an absorbing tussle for much of the mid part of the season with trainer William Haggis. Now, ultimately, Appleby won pretty decisively. And you sense that this retention of his title that he won for the first time the previous season meant an awful lot to him, indeed more perhaps than that first victory. And I began by asking him why. Look, um, it's been a fantastic year. Um... It's uh, as we all know. It starts off in in, in great style, uh, winning the guineas. Uh, you know, prior to that, going into the guineas, the horses were in good form, and, and it was all yes, it was on our mindset to uh, to obviously um, go for you know go for the, the championship again. Um, as we all know, it's been uh, a few years since it's been done in winning your first championship and, and backing it up. Uh, I think Aidan O'Brien was the last person to do it there. So. Um, it was very much on the mindset, but most importantly, as I've always said, you know, we'll do what's right for the horses and we'll pitch them in where we feel they're going to be most competitive and needless to say, one leads to another. So, you know, winning the winning the English guineas and then going into uh, to a very competitive ascot and, and, and the horses from there on just seem to hit every festival meeting uh, in good form and uh, therefore put us into into contention to, uh, to challenge for the championship. Charlie, to what extent, you mentioned Aidan O'Brien there, to what extent does that rivalry, friendly rivalry with, with O'Brien and that competitive spirit with the other major European superpowers spur you on and, in, and inform your decision-making? Oh, very much so. I mean, it's, it's a sport that, uh, you know, competition is, is everything, um, you know, and that, you know, to be competitive and or, or want to be competitive will, will spur you on even further. Hopefully, and, you know that's uh, you know that's what it's certainly done for myself and the team. There, um, we want to be competitive at the at the right meetings, uh, and so now, as I say, in doing so, has put us into that position of you know being a championship contenders. Um, but there's no doubt about it. You know, internationally and and and, and uh, you know within Europe. Uh, Aidan O'Brien and the Coolmore team are, as you quite say, it's good, friendly rivalry. But uh, it's, it's, you know, we take it, we take it seriously. Um, but uh, you know, with this year as well going on, as you quite rightly say, uh, uh, William Haggis and his team put up a put up a great fight there as well. And and, and John and Thady Gosden are always there on your heels. So um, you know, you've got to uh, you've got to keep the ball rolling, as they say, once you get into contention. Much will be made. Much was made yesterday when you were crowned international trainer of the year again as well. 
of your your record globally. I know our listeners across the United States are simply in awe of your of your strike rate there. Another three winners at, at the Breeders' Cup this time. Why do you think that Godolphin has been able to achieve what it has under your stewardship abroad? Firstly, the caliber of horse that we've got, you know, uh, and we've had, um, you know, that's been year on year. They've been uh, they've been progressing, um, and and you know, I'm in the fortunate position of obviously receiving these horses at this stage, and um, you know, I, I feel that this is probably going into my 27th year with Godolphin now, and half of that was spent travelling for for Saeed, so. I do feel as though I've got a, a little bit of a, you know, a, not an advantage, but knowledge of, of what's needed uh, on these uh, international trips. Uh, and, and then, you know, hopefully picking the right horse to, to be competitive is, is uh, has proven its worth, should we say. And, um, you know, that's why, thankfully, we, uh, yeah, we've gone to the Breeders' Cup and we picked the right horses and, and uh, thankfully they've gone and, uh, and done what they've needed to do. Which days this year, either at home or abroad, were the were the most satisfying? Whether or not they be the obvious ones to us. Uh, firstly, the English Guineas. There's no doubt about it. You know, we've been knocking on the door, and and to to finally uh, to, to have the winner and to be a homebred uh, in Caribus, who unfortunately we we lost during the course of the season there. But um, you know, to to do it with a homebred, it was a a great achievement and, and satis- very satisfying for myself and the team. But I have to say. Obviously, then winning the French Guineas and going to Ireland, then uh, with Native Trail. Uh, once he passed the line, I have to say it was a it wasn't a relief by any stretch, but it was a great satisfaction to to have done something that hasn't been done before. And um, you know, I think that's what spurs on as well. Nick, to be honest, is is you know putting ourselves those challenges to try and meet and and you know in doing what we did in the spring. Uh, I say I'm not, it might take a year or two for it to be repeated. Three different guineas with three different horses, three Breeders' Cup races, um, modern games shining in in both spheres. Of course, he'll be he'll be back again next year as a, a team leader in the older Miling Division. Um, which which area do you think you'll have most strength in 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 twenty twenty three, Charlie? I feel that the older horses, are obviously, you quite might be mentioned there in, in uh, modern games and, and Native Trail. They stay in training, so obviously they're going to be the, that, that Miling Division. Um, Adiar stays in training as well, so you know you've got the mile, of course, the mile and a half division. I thought there's going to be there's some strength there. Um, he's going to also be followed up with with Hurricane Lane, who uh, you know had two runs there during the course of the summer, and you know the quick ground uh, didn't suit him and caught him out, and, and so therefore he, he's been put away for the year. A winter in Dubai, and we won't run him out here. We just uh, change the scenery and we'll bring him back in the spring, and he won't run on anything but our, but our soft ground and try and rekindle the. Uh, three-year-old form that we we saw um but with the with the two-year-olds turning three obviously we've got a noble star who's there in the in his betting um but i do feel that the mile and a half you know that the three-year-old division could be a division that i feel we might have our most strength in uh, in next year but uh, as we all know it's a, it can be a long winter but uh, it's a, we're going into the winter with some some very nice i feel middle distance uh three-year-olds I know there's a there's a couple you you particularly like that that are not yet household names. Yeah, we know Noble Star because he won the Jim Crack so impressively. But of those more staying types that might be on the on the Derby Trail, which are the ones that that you've really warmed to that have really taken your eye either at home or on the track? Uh, Imperial Empire has a has a lovely pedigree. Dubari out as a go So uh, you know, there's a 
a horse that uh, was won very impressively. Brokers made at Newmarket uh, very well, um, you know, and we, we won the Autumn Stakes there with a nice um, see the stars, uh, and, and along with a you know Nazamore there won the, the Zetland as well. So you know, th- those are three horses that most definitely will be in the uh, in the Derby trials in the spring. Um, so uh, you know, they're very much horses we're looking forward to. Um, and, and as you quite rightly say, Noble Style there being a, a Guineas contender. But uh, as we all know, Nick, it's just how they develop from two to three now is the is the is, is the exciting part, and where the dreams hopefully will <laughs> will try and become reality in the spring. So Imperial Emperor, Silver Knot, and Flying Honours, the horses that you're you're really looking forward to in that in that middle distance group. Charlie, how much does it mean to you personally to see William Buick pick up the the Jockeys Championship? Uh, personally delighted, but you know, myself and, and William we have a, we have a great relationship in in, in work and and uh, personal, uh, and, and to see what uh, you know, his 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 drive that he's had over the last three seasons there, really you know going for the championship uh, has been second to none, um, and for himself personally and his family, I know it uh, it was something uh, they're all very proud of and, and deservedly so as well. You know, he's a He's a fantastic rider. He's a world world class rider. And for for myself and 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 Godolphin, uh, um, you know, we've had we've struck up this great relationship, and and, and thankfully uh, we've had a lot of success to date. And uh, long may it continue. Charlie, I, I realise that you you are lucky enough to train some of the world's finest thoroughbreds, most beautifully bred thoroughbreds, and you'll deflect a lot of credit an awful lot of the time to that, and indeed to your team. But I'd be very interested to know how you manage to maintain what appears to be, um, your nearest and dearest might tell me otherwise, what appears to be such a, an even temperament and composure on the, on the biggest race days. What, 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 sort of, what is important to you in that respect? I'm very lucky from the, 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 you know, the management team at, um, at Godolphin, but more importantly, you know, working for His Highness Sheikh Mohammed and, 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 and Godolphin, you know, they give me all the confidence in the world to to think that I'm doing what's right for everybody, and and so therefore, you know, if it doesn't come off, it's we've given it our best shot, uh, and uh, you know, we'll move on. Um, and if it comes off, we'll celebrate, and we still move on. Um, so I think that's sort of been instilled to me from a very early uh, age working with Goodolphin that um, I feel I have confidence in myself and the team of what we're doing is right anyway at, the, at this present time. So, if it, 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 do you feel that then that enables you to to make the right call more often than not because your brain is not is not confused or muddled by by the anxiety of having to try and do the right thing all the time? No, that's right, and I think to be honest with you, Nick, as I, you know, as we mentioned there, you know, you, you only can do what you feel is right, and and where I, the position I'm very lucky in is that you know if it doesn't come off, there's not a ton of bits come down on top of me. It's put to the side or put behind it and you move forward um, and so uh, like I said just the, the support that we uh, that we receive at Walton Paddocks from, from all of our management team there uh, you know is, is phenomenal and, and I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without them so uh, you know, that's why like I say I can confidently stand there on the rail and, and feel that we, we're, we're doing what's the best to our ability in here for sure Well that was Charlie Appleby this is Jonathan Harding yesterday Crown Specialist Writer of the year by the Horse Race Writing and Photographers Association. Jonathan, listening to Charlie Appleby there uh, in an extensive interview, what were your what were your overriding thoughts? 
Well, I mean, it was it was very interesting in the first instance to hear that the, the title is something that was at the forefront of his and the team's mind at the beginning of the season because so often it's something we in the media try and sort of drive that narrative of going in for the title and the excitement of that. And they sort of say, well, it was not, it's at the back of our minds. We're not really thinking about it. So for him to set his stall out so clearly was quite refreshing. And also that sort of rivalry with Aidan O'Brien and Charlie Appleby is, is something that we get quite excited about. And they're so often meeting in those big races, not just in Britain and Ireland, but all over the world. And to have two huge organisations like that going toe to toe and and enjoying that process of taking each other on is really exciting and something that we'll no doubt be covering for years to come. One thing that struck me about Charlie Appleby is his his foresight. Yeah, you know, I'm fully aware that he's got beautiful horses to train and he's in a very fortunate position to to do so. And people would say, well, you could put anybody in there and they'd get those results. History has proved that's not the case. History, recent history, has shown us that what he is very good at is identifying targets from a long, long way out with horses. Hence those three guineas in three different countries, another three Breeders' Cup winners with the right type of animal. I was very struck by him identifying the more middle distance type three-year-olds for next year. Yeah, and, and like you say, it's he does have an enormous sort of pool of horses to go out, pool of high-quality horses. He does get sent the ammunition, but... At the same time, Pep Guardiola does for Man City, and that doesn't mean he's any less a, of a manager because he has the better players. You know, it's still a job to aim the right horses, and arguably an even greater pressure when you have those very good horses to campaign them properly. Because if you don't, it's very obvious that you haven't. And he's a wonderful target trainer, and obviously his experience campaigning internationally, which he touched on there with when he was working for Saeed bin Saroor, is paying dividends and. I think you have to sort of take your hat off to him that he's targeting these races, not just the Breeders' Cup and the obvious international meetings, but sending horses over to America for some of the big races and and singling out the type of horse that performs well over there is is an enormous skill in itself. And middle distance is, it is interesting that he targeted that as one of his strong areas. I mean, he is clearly has a lot of strength in every single division, but those sort of three-year-olds next year are really exciting and, and it wouldn't be a surprise for him to win another classic next year, would it? I think he'd love to win a derby with a son of Dubawi. I think that would be a, a big feather in his cap. Imperial Emperor is a horse he keeps talking about, quite closely related in blood to Gayath. Yes, I mean, that's a, it's a very good relation to have when you're thinking about middle distance and Look, Dubawi, we we saw because we we were talking about stud fees not that long ago. He's quite clearly the stallion at the moment. He's producing some unbelievable racehorses, and looking at the breeding, Imperial Emperor has, you know, all the pieces are there to be a Derby horse. But as Charlie quite rightly says, there's a a lot of time to go now between the sort of two year old career and three year old and. Considering he's only won one race, a Newmarket Maiden, and we're talking about him for the Derby, is is sort of a sign of the type of horse he might become, but it's it's still a might at this point. Okay, well, I've been trying for a, a couple of weeks to catch up with Venetia Williams because her team is really starting to, to roll now. It's been another very productive three or four weeks and Quick Waves victory at Sandown on Saturday was very striking. We'll come to, to her in a few moments' time. But Venetia, I've, I've got to start with the, 
the flag bearer, really, uh, Lon Presse, who was really good in the rehearsal chase at, at Newcastle. I spoke to Charlie Deutsch about it the day after. We've spoken to the owner about the horse. Haven't had a chance to pick your brains, really, on, on how pleased you were with that comeback run. Um, well, he, he did exactly what one would have hoped he would. Um, yes, I know uh, people talk an awful lot about, oh, carrying lumps of weight. But, but you know, he carried exactly the same as my 99-rated um, lesser light um, carrying top weight in an to 100 handicap. You know, at the end of the day, they only carried 12 stone and, and no, nothing more than that. And, um, uh, you know, he, he took on some, some jolly good and progressive handicappers, but he didn't take on any, you know, graded horses. Um, so, you know, he just did what you'd, you know, you'd expect and hope him to do. And, you know, happy that he achieved that. I... I don't know really whether whether any trainers send horses to the races now, not in in peak fitness, and it's it's probably a bit of a myth. But do, do you expect him to to move forward significantly from that? Well, you know, he he's got to take on um, a completely different um, grade of horse. Um, but fitness-wise, you know, he he was fairly straight. I was happy with him. You know, he is as you well know, and everybody knows. You know, he was fit enough to run the previous week. Um, and, and didn't you know? So, so yeah. No, he, he, he. I don't think that you know. You weren't going to see blinding improvement from that. No. He's around about a nine to two shot for the for the King George. I know you're not going to make a decision until fairly late in the day. Do you think it's a, a race that he theoretically would be would be fine in? Do you think it would play to to his strengths? Um, I don't like playing to his strengths. It's you know. Well, when you've got a horse at this level, you know, your opportunities are, are pretty limited. So um, it, it's obviously a race that, that we're going to have to consider. But I think, um, you know, you just don't want to be particularly out of choice. You don't particularly want to be running around Kempton on, on sort of, you know, what what, what often is, is sort of fairly quick ground. Um, and, and, you know, it's no secret that we've we've got quite a... You know, we have a very dry summer, and, and the, the autumn, you know, is is, is fairly dry too. But um, you know, but that, these days, well, you know, one's not with, um, well, not not spoiled for choice. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to consider it. Uh, and again, I, I do sort of wonder whether it's quite an easy thing for us to say sometimes. Oh, such a horse isn't going to be suited by this track or that track or the other track. Um, I, your Hennessy went at Teton Mill. You went to the King George, and people said, "Oh, will that be his track?" And he was just way too good for the opposition. Sometimes class, class is everything, isn't it? I completely agree with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fusser about um, the configurations of a track. Um, I'm just talking about you know the ground. That's that's the only issue I, I really have. No, I mean, goodness gracious, you, you see people paying. You know, three hundred and four hundred thousand for Irish point to pointers that are probably run around a track that you know you and I would regard as a Jim Carter ring. You know, so it's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of chat that goes on about these sort of things, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the best horse should should win on in most situations. Um, in quite a few situations, that's been Royal Pagai. Now, I, I know you talked about the little wither problem he had earlier in the in the season. Is he over that, and is he is he set for a race? Um, yes, we're, we're building him back up. Um, he's not ready to run tomorrow, um, but hopefully he'll be ready by Christmas. And is that he's in the in the Welsh National? Is that a, is that a possibility for him? Uh, it is a possibility. Um, we, you know, he's got got two early closing entries. He's also in King George. Um, there's other options which um, we're considering. Um, you know, he might well have an entry in the Roland Mary Cup at, um, at Weatherby. Um, 
but uh, yeah, we're, we're a little way off just at the minute, but we've got, we've got a couple of weeks to play with. And you've had so much success with, with staying chases over the years. It was hard not to be really impressed with Quick Wave at Sandown on Saturday. How much more do you think you can get out of her? Um, it, it's hard to know. I mean, she, you know, she, yes, yeah, she, she did that very well. But um, at the end of the day, one's also got to look at, you know, the horses that she beat. I think, I think her and the favourite were the only two that didn't have headgear of some description on. Um, and uh, you know, she's she's done it very well. She she's been difficult to train in the past, as you know, because she's only had the one run last season. Um, she seems to have come out of the race reasonably well. Um, so fingers crossed, you know, everything will hold together. Um, I mean, the obvious race to take her to is is the Welsh National. The handicappers given her a fair thump um, this morning, as one would expect. So. You know, she'll have a four-pound penalty for there, which which um, obviously makes that, that fairly appealing. Well, we look forward to seeing her there. Looking forward to seeing all of these nice horses out. This weekend at Cheltenham in the feature race there, I noticed you had Frere Bombu um, in. Is he likely to run? Um, I think he probably will. Um, I, I know the owner um, will, will be there, which will be the first time you've seen him for a while. Um you know, again, one's always concerned about the ground, but he is one of the few that we have run on good ground in the past. Um, and uh, I'm sure it's not going to be anything softer than that at best. Um, but yeah, he, he'll probably run. Always enjoy listening to Venetia Williams, who I always feel Jonathan Harding isn't afraid to be uh, unorthodox and, and doesn't just go with the herd. Uh, also interesting to hear that I, I felt there that that she wants to run L'Ompresse in the in the King George if the ground if the ground is suitable he'd be a, a meaningful addition to it for sure wouldn't he Absolutely I mean we we saw what he did last season and for him to come out and and win on his first start in the rehearsal was encouraging enough obviously he was entitled to win he was sent off at 6 to 4 but horses still have to come back after a busy season and do it which he has the King George perhaps isn't the race that it was sort of a few weeks ago we had Alaho in there obviously not running now Brave Man's Game and Hitman at the top of the market probably thinking you know Lompress wouldn't have too much to find with that pair and it's, it's shaping up to be an interesting race in the sense that there is not a lot between the sort of top four and the betting you've got Envoy Allen obviously Noble Yates is in there might not run but it's one of those fields that's going to take a shape over the next couple of weeks or so and I'd imagine she will be having a look at it and see how it perhaps cuts up because he'd be a very interesting runner if he went to Kempton. Well as you know if you've been listening to the pod over the last couple of weeks it is the Racehorse Owners Association Awards on Thursday evening. One of the supporters of the ROA Awards this year is the Jockey Club and to tell me a little bit more about the Jockey Club and its ownership strategy, I'm joined by Nevin Truesdale, who's Chief Executive. Nevin, first of all, just tell, tell us why this year you're lending your support to the ROA Awards. Yeah, good morning, Nick. Um, congratulations on your awards yesterday. Um, yeah, we're very, very pleased to be supporting the ROA Awards again. We've, we've supported it for a number of years now and in a number of different guises. And, and ultimately, it's because, you know, the... the, the the fostering of, of ownership across the sport is something that's and the work of the ROA in particular is something that you know is incredibly important to us. I, I work on the basis that in racing we operate on a, a big ecosystem where we all sort of interdepend on each other. And the way in which we offer owners an experience at different levels, be that a small course or, or a large course like a Cheltenham or a new market, is an incredibly important part of what we do because ultimately 
we all know that keeping keeping owners in the sport and attracting new owners to the sport is effectively the lifeblood of the sport. I think there was probably a time not that long ago when you know owners probably weren't given the the recognition and the and the treatment that frankly they deserve. Um, so the the what we could on for owners the offer around do with pre, the previous day experience, the food on the day, um, and hopefully a very seamless experience where they are treated in the way they deserve to be treated. Um, is incredibly important for us, both for sole owners um, and for syndicates, which are obviously an increasingly important part of it as well. Mm. I'll come back to syndicates in a minute because this is a this is a very interesting conversation to have. But first of all, as an owner, how would I experience a race day differently now at a jockey club race course than I would five years ago, for example? What what would be the fundamental things that I would notice? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. I think I think first of all. The, the size and quality of your facility in a lot of places will have will have um, improved. Um, if you look across some of the number of our race courses, Haydock, Carlisle, Sandown in particular. Actually, I know you were at Sandown last week and talking about some of the facilities there with Lee. Um, you, you will definitely see an improvement in that. Um, the food offer, the food and beverage offer, has, has definitely improved markedly. Um, and obviously, you've seen what we've done across the piece there, both at the large and the small courses. And, I, and I'd like to think as well that, I mean, there's more work to do on this aspect, but I think the pre-race day experience in terms of um, the communication ahead of the race day, um, what you get in advance in terms of your guidance um, in sort of what I would call your joining instructions um, is also, I think, greatly improved. I think we've got more to do there, though, just in terms of how we um, use the data and how we get to a single view of, of the owner. But I think we've made some good progress, I think, in all of those areas. You, you say the single view of an owner, you touch on something quite important. What's one person's good day out isn't necessarily the next person's. All owners have slightly different requirements. Have you found any commonality, though? Have you found you know, key areas where, where people want to see improvement? Yeah, I think if you, when we go around, we, we talk to people and we, we survey them a lot. It's really about making sure that you know, the experience is there end to end, that it's that it's seamless, that it's something they feel they can bring their friends to and in some cases maybe show off a bit. And I don't think that's that, that's not an issue for us at all. We're, we're there to make sure that that, that sort of seamless experience is delivered. And I think also it's you know, the recognition, um, even if the horse you know doesn't run well, it doesn't win, and not, not everyone takes very few people, but of course, and take home the prize money. So it's, it's what people get on the day in terms of how they're treated and the expectations that they have. And as you say, the expectations of some are different from others, but t- tailoring the experience as much as we can is obviously something we're very keen to do. Nevin, I want to drill down into what racecourses can do for syndicates and how syndicates can also help racecourses. What's your strategy? Yeah, so obviously increasingly important part of the sport and, 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 and the ownership cohort, and I think it will become more more important going forward. We're, it's something we're very keen to, to encourage. We've actually got a couple of syndicates of our own that we run in the southwest region, which has been quite successful. That, that's a key part of our strategy, and we'd certainly look at doing more of those. But I think if you look at the sort of the practicalities of the on-course strategy and experience, it's about making sure we've got good facilities for them, especially on quieter days, so offering them a box. Um, we always offer at least um, eight passes for each runner, more if we can. And I always encourage our people to be very, very flexible around that particular. I don't even see that as a rule. See that as something where we say, well, actually, yes, you, you can have you can have eight passes for the runner, but if it's if it's if potentially more available, we'll certainly do that for you. It's a it's it's about being flexible, Nick. It's about saying to people, you know, you're you're investing maybe for the first time in a syndicate in a horse. Come and enjoy this experience with us. 
um, and come and, and, and really show what we've got to offer. Um, and I think it's going to be you know an increasingly important part of it. Obviously, it gives challenges around numbers on busier days, and most syndicate managers do understand that on busier days we can't offer quite as much as we might on the quieter days. But I, I think it's just about really, really improving the quality and, and the flexibility of that offer. I, I, is there any more that, say, your larger resources courses can do when you've got a horse running for one of those mass syndicates where you've got eight, nine hundred, a thousand members and you might want four or five hundred of them might want to come. Is there is there an opportunity there for the race courses, do you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you, you've, you've got to look at the practicality because there, there will be limits on it. But, you know, I, I think those sort of syndicates and those sort of ownership structures um, are, are destined to be encouraged. And we're, we're always looking at new opportunities for how we enhance that experience. There will be some days, obviously, where the boxes are sold out and it's difficult to be um, to, to be totally accommodating. But on the large majority of our days, and especially at our larger courses, um, we will always look um, and talk to those syndicates and those syndicate managers directly. We will always look to to, to, to de- deliver whatever we can, when we can, and improve that over time. So I, I see that as a massive opportunity for support because it's a good way of hooking people in. So you're, ha- you're happy as a group to be a bit more agile now than perhaps you were 10 or 15 years ago, and you're happy to do to cut individual deals with different different syndicates and different ownership groups. Yeah, we have to be, and I mean there, there's a there's a number of them we we talk to individually where you know that that has to be a, a score part of what we do going forward within reason, obviously given the the limits we have, especially on the busier days. That was Nevin Truesdale, chief executive of the Jockey Club. This is Jonathan Harding. Jonathan, you're listening to that with interest. What what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was it was very encouraging to hear. He's Nevin said all the right things there, didn't he? About owners being the lifeblood of the sport. We know that. We know that. The people don't get into ownership necessarily for the financial returns, given all the questions around prize money and all those well-worn sort of debates and conversations. So the ownership experience is absolutely paramount. The fact that it's at the forefront of their minds is really encouraging to hear. And, and equally, this focus on improving the syndicate experience as well, because that is the direction of travel. We've seen it in Australia. We've seen the importance of syndicates as an ownership body perhaps they've not been catered for as well as they could have been in terms of getting enough badges to ensure their members get a fair shot at watching their horses run. The facilities, obviously syndicates are a little bit harder to accommodate by virtue of there being so many more of them, particularly with micro shares and things like that. But for Nevin to sort of say, we're going to be agile, we're going to be flexible. If we can offer more tickets, if we can offer more badges, we will. That's really promising and hopefully all tracks follow suit because we, we can't afford to sort of sidetrack syndicates and then give them a, a lesser, lesser experience to sole owners because that seems to be affordable ownership is going to be very important. Uh, clearly, you can't get a thousand people in a paddock to watch a horse. You, you, you can't realistically be expected to let everybody in for nothing, etc. But I was encouraged by the fact that he said he was prepared to consider cutting different deals with different ownership groups on any given day. So it's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. No, and that's really important because you can't just say, well, you're a syndicate, you get eight badges, let's say, because one syndicate might have 10 people in it and one might have 100. It's, it's complicated. And I like the idea that, okay, you have your set quota. We have a rough guideline of how many badges per runner. That makes perfect sense. And like you say, you can't let everybody in for free. It's a business. But if they're then able to offer 
maybe they can offer concessions on ticket or discounted tickets for other members or plus ones or if people don't take up their you know if sole owners don't perhaps bring quite so many people in their spare badges can we then put those into a ballot for syndicate runners can we it's just about being flexible and i know that's that's not easy when you're running a big business with lots of runners and lots of owners but he certainly hit all the right notes there in terms of we're going to accommodate syndicates as best we can i think that's going to be uh, you know i've written about this before and i think it's going to be absolutely vital in the years to come because sole ownership is it, it's not easy to buy a horse outright is it so <laughs> syndication is going to be huge well, from now until the weekend, we will be building up to the Hong Kong international races that take place if you are watching in the UK uh, in the reasonably early hours of, of Sunday morning, but certainly not antisocially. So, and you will want to be out of bed bright and early because they are always an excellent spectacle. But the build up to those races through the week is sometimes just as interesting. Many on the ground that you will know and love. One of those is uh, my friend and colleague and long-time racing journalist, both here and in Hong Kong and around the world, Graham Cunningham, uh, who joins me now from Hong Kong. Graham, where to start? Well, I think our old friend Golden 60, who's held such a, a strong position in, the, in, in our world thoroughbred rankings, is a, is a very good departure point. He's, he's out again. Is he going to win this time? I suspect he might, Nick. Uh, welcome to Hong Kong. Great to make a first appearance on the Nick Luck Daily. I must start by saying well done on your uh, bagging your brace, shall we say, at the, uh, at the Horse Race Writers and Photographers Award. Two on the day, and word reaches me that you're going for the Photographers Award as well next year. Well done. Yeah, very good. Thank you very much, Graham. Right, on to, on to this Golden 60 then with Vincent Ho aboard. Uh, he's, a, he's a high, high quality horse. Is he as good as he always has been or not? The numbers suggest he is. Um, uh, he's now reached the age of seven. That tends to be the age when even the champs, the real champs, can, can lose half a step. Beauty Generation did at that age. When he was going for three Longines Hong Kong miles, he couldn't quite step with the best again. This horse, Golden 60, is seven now. He came back giving five pounds to a real up-and-coming uh, horse, California Spangle, in the Group 2 Jockey Club mile. And it took him a while, but he pounced on him late, giving the five pounds, recording a an eye-watering, I think, 21-32 final split. That's the thing with this horse, Nick. Trainer Francis Loy and jockey Vincent Ho, you hear one phrase all the time, fighting heart, and he has got a fighting heart. He's been in nine finishes where the distance has been half a length or less, and he's nine from nine. So it tells you he knows how to time his challenge, but he's got that savage acceleration. And uh, spoke to Zach Purton today, spoke to Vincent today, uh, Zach says only bad luck can beat him, but Zach knows that bad luck can happen in high-quality Hong Kong races. California Spangle is up and coming. He's likely to get a softish lead. Vincent was delighted with Golden 60's turf gallop this morning. He said it was lovely, just lovely and smooth. So they look primed to peak again, but it shouldn't be regarded as a formality. He's been 1.3 and 1.3 for his first two Hong Kong mile wins. He might well nudge about the same price again. But, but don't be surprised if this Spangle, California Spangle, named after an American cat that's bred to look like a leopard, uh, can put it up to the champion. It's a tremendous race in prospect. Don't forget the Japanese challenge. I think Ryan Moore is going to be aboard Salios, who was third last year. But no, in the dark, 6 o'clock, 6.15 this morning, Golden 60 stretched his legs on the turf and everything went like clockwork. 
That's in the mile, of course. Panther Lass is an interesting talking horse in the Hong Kong Cup, Graham, from, from Japan. What sort of part do you think he'll play in, in, in the Cup, which is, in many respects, the most prestigious of the races? The most valuable and a fiery part he will play, um, based on several pieces of form. You saw him, did he dead heat in Dubai with Lord North in uh, one of the big races on World Cup? No, he, I think he, he did. did. And uh, last time out in the Tenor Show, many listeners may not have seen that performance it was it was quite staggering Nick um, he took off about a third of the way through the race he was a minimum a minimum of 15 more like 20 clear all the way around the home turn and he only started to flag uh, in the final 100 meters and was worn down by a high quality three-year-old close home so he looks to to add a lot of fire to the uh, to the Longines Hong Kong Cup um, there is Japanese precedent here um, they have a very good record in the race full stop. But you remember a horse that the Japanese used to call affectionately his madness. His name was Asian Hikari. And he did something similar in the Hong Kong Cup seven, eight, nine years ago, where he took off early. Uh, and that was all she wrote. They never saw him after that. So he has the potential to, to certainly take that race apart in the earlier middle stages. Uh, and whether we can hang on up the straight is one of the key questions of the week. Any likely joy for Aidan O'Brien, do you think, with Stone Age or perhaps Broom, Order of Australia's out again? I, I like the look of Stone Age. I've seen him for the last two mornings uh, out on the track. He seems a bit lively, a little bit warm, but that may just be the way he is. He's got a beautiful, long, flowing stride. Um, he's got a similar uh, profile to... Highland Reel and Mogul. Highland Reel won the Longines Hong Kong Vars twice, including once off a very good effort in defeat in the Breeders' Cup turf and once having won uh, the Breeders' Cup turf. So Aiden knows what's needed. Uh, Mogul also ran well um, in the turf, I think, before he came here and won. Yeah, he did. He ran well behind Tanawa in the Breeders' Cup, I think. So Aiden has a, a, a very good handle on what's needed in the turf. Japan look perhaps the main dangers. Glory Vars already has two vases on his sideboard. He's looking for a third. I believe John Marrero will ride him. Very sparingly raced in the last couple of years, Glory Vars. If he's the same horse he was uh, this time last year, when I think he beat Pile Driver, he's got a hell of a chance. Um, but Stone Age has some recent runs on the board. He's an odd one in that he hasn't snagged a Group 1 yet, uh, but this is his chance, I think, this weekend. Uh, Graham, talking of Joe Moreira, he is one of many jockeys who's been sort of caught up in how to get to Hong Kong, how to su- how to survive the week, not throw a COVID positive and and whatnot. There's all sorts of shenanigans going on. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a pretty febrile time here. Uh, Hong Kong, as many people will know, is is I think further back in the COVID curve um, than a lot of Western nations. Um, uh, everyone's still wearing uh, masks are mandated in public. There's a leave home safe app. You have to scan in every restaurant, bar, cafe, or whatever, and the leave home safe uh, stays into a, turns into a stay home safe if you test positive. Seven days of uh, isolation. So Joe is on his way from Brazil. He doesn't ride in the Longines International Jockeys Championship. He does ride at the weekend, medical and COVID tests permitting. Speaking of which, uh, COVID tests have impacted tomorrow's International Jockeys Championship. Japanese star. Yuga Kawada, he tested positive before he left uh, Japan and is therefore out to, re- to be replaced by young South African star Lyle Hewitson. Holly Doyle arrived from Japan with husband Tom Marquand. 
she returned what was described slightly oddly as an indifferent test, inconclusive test perhaps, but she's been tested again today. Uh, it was clear. She now seems clear to take her chance and it's a tremendous lineup. Previous winners, Purton, Moore, um, Hugh Bowman, uh, Sylvester de Souza, and Jamie Carr and um, Holly Doyle, the two most accomplished uh, influential female riders on the planet, I think right now, square off for the first time. So all sorts of uh, interesting angles for that um, jockey championship tomorrow night at Happy Valley. All right. Thanks to Graham. Thanks to all my guests today, Venetia Williams and Charlie Appleby. And of course, Nevin Truesdale. Jonathan Harding still with me and has a tip for you for today. Yeah. So I'm going to go with do you think in the 305 at Fontwell, the form of her debut win over fences at Hereford last month has been boosted by the runner-up? She's gone up £8, but I think she should still be competitive for Emma Lavelle. Splendid. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Congratulations yesterday. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, December the 6th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.